This episode of Tune On Toast is brought to you by Hamer Toyota. Here in Southern California, out there in Mission Hills, I was trying to figure out over the years how many cars I have leased from them. If you combine my wife and I, and I think the number is eight. Why do I always go back? It's because it's the way they treat everybody and they make you feel comfortable. And Johnny, the general sales manager, he is the most unbelievable guy. It's like his goal in life is just to make everybody happier than he is. And it's such a good trait. Again, out there in Mission Hills, I'm not saying go get a car or trade in your car right now, but when it's time, go check them out and support the company that supports Tuna on Toast. H-A-M-E-R, HamerToyota.com. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called Tuna on Toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that create it. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It is Ted Stryker. Uh, We're going to get to Chris Caraba in just a minute. Dashboard Confessional just released their brand new album called All the Truth That I Can Tell. And Chris was just here in my spare bedroom, which is the Tuna on Toast studio. All the guests, for the most part, they come over to my house, which is so insane. A couple things I want to get to before Chris. Number one, it's a favor. Uh, First of all, thank you for listening. Can you please subscribe to the podcast? And when you have 30 seconds, write a friendly review and give me the best amount of stars possible. That helps with the algorithm they have out there. And this show is basically, this is a one-man operation here. I've got Sean Say. He's doing the cameras. And it's me. And that's how this thing is done. Number two, not sure if you know this, you can watch all these episodes on my YouTube channel, which is Tuna on Toast with Stryker. Like, you can go watch. What was Chris Caraba wearing in this episode? Or Davey Havoc when he was here. Uh, Tom DeLong, Bishop Briggs, Fat Mike. Phineas came to the house. Brett Gerwitz. There's been so many great guests. It's on YouTube. Tuna on Toast with Stryker. You know, I found something very interesting over the last two weeks. More than any other time since I started Tuna on Toast way back in October, I've had um, people in the industry, management and record labels saying, what is the most difficult thing about doing this podcast? Because I don't have a huge company behind me promoting it. It's all word of mouth, thanks to you and the artists who go on social media and they promote their appearance on the show. My answer to the question, what is the most difficult thing about doing this podcast independently? Keeping my house clean. It is unbelievable. I can't have Chris Caraba come over with three pair of Converse in my kitchen and four pair of Nikes and my jeans on the ground and my underwear hanging out and crumbs from the sandwiches all over the place. The amount of cleaning that I do here is insane. I've never cleaned this much and I gotta give my wife so much credit. She'll say, "Mm, I think I smell something in the garbage can. You have to take the garbage out. So it seems like every day I'm putting in three hours of research, uh, two hours of emails booking the guests and seven hours of making sure that the house is presentable. Man alive, this place 
This place has never looked better. <laughs> so maybe it's a good thing that I started the podcast because if not, I have a feeling a couple of the rooms here would look like hoarders. And nobody wants to look like you're on the TV show Hoarders. Chris Caraba, this is a good dude. This is a very talented guy. The new album, as I mentioned at the top, is called All the Truth That I Can Tell. And all his lyrics are always authentic and wonderful and the way his voice sounds. But man, this thing is better than ever. I was so pumped to get a copy of the album and listen to it. And he's got a great story. We get into a lot of Chris Caraba history, Dashboard Confessional, and we dive pretty deep into uh, his motorcycle accident that happened in June of 2020. Um, you're going to hear some details that I had never heard before. So let's just get to it. And again, thank you so much for listening. It's uh, a very, very grateful and lucky dude that you join me every week. And I'm also grateful to the artist. So without any further ado, please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio, Chris Caraba. Hard for me not to just tell you how much I love the songs, but I'm telling you now before we go. I can't believe people are hearing it now. I'm saving it. We're saving okay, it, Chris. Okay, We're saving smells, for the cameras. Let's back, buddy. That's good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. I'm just gonna do my intro to camera, then I look at you the whole time. You got it. Chris Caraba, Dashboard Confessional. Is that my house, Chris? <laughs> this is the first time, Striker, that I've I'm seeing this in the wild. Like I I I've never. I've seen them, the artwork, the albums. I know they exist. I saw them from the stage the other night where we did this like pre-sale show or whatever. Yeah. I saw people holding them up. But this is as close to any of them as I've been. This feels really real right now. Okay, so let's get straight to this album because as we are sitting here today, the full length, all of this is available in like seven hours from now. Yeah. So do you feel this many years into your career, anxiety, nerves, or just excitement like what is it like for you like well generally speaking i'm always feeling anxiety and nerves <laughs> is a blanket statement um yeah i do i still feel it i still feel it how can you not you know uh you work on something under uh under a microscope for a long time and also in so kind of solitude it's not like a real shared experience and suddenly this is the part where i get to share it but where i feel i get to share it and i don't mean share it with the world i mean share it with the individual people as they Come across it. It's it's a lovely thing to feel, but it is nerve-wracking. Um, over the last, let's just go three months leading up to today. Yeah. Have you been tinkering with the songs at all? Or yeah. are were you patient and know like, I did all the work. We went in the studio. We did it. It's great how it is. I'm not going to get in my own head. That's impossible. Okay. That's impossible to, to, to leave it alone. But isn't that the joy of it, I think? Like, um, that's why... Um, 20 some odd years after putting out my first dashboard record, I can still play songs from them, from that record, because I'm not trying to replicate that moment. I probably made that mistake as a younger man, but instead I'm letting those that moment be malleable and may let it evolve. And uh, I'm already feeling like I'm doing that with, with the songs on this record in, in a way that's probably like most evident in, in at least uh, subtle subtle choices. I don't know that I can tell you I've like, I'm going to change the keys of these songs or make them a jazz standard or something like that. Yeah. No way. But, um, but they're starting to evolve already. Where do you think you have the guts to get on stage in front of the crowd with, at times, it's just you and that guitar and sing the way you do with these honest lyrics? Because I believe that that is an underrated trait 
that humans have to be able to do that? I don't know where it comes from. Um, I don't have that kind of like uh, deep set confidence that uh, somebody with a genuinely good voice will have. You know, they just know their craft so well. They know their their that will carry the day. What I have though is a bit of a belief in the songs I've written, and um, and uh, and I've learned over time to, to believe in the audience. You know, the, the you're not going to win over every person in every room, but you're going to win somebody over. And so that's the piece of the puzzle that makes me get across the threshold and onto the stage. Is that one of the goals for live shows is to potentially win somebody over who was just dragged to a dashboard show with their screwball friend? I think so. I think it's in there for me. And I don't know if that's just, um, um, and it's something that's necessary for me and, I lo- and that I like because I have a bit of a competitive spirit on, a, on, a, like, a ner- on like a small scale thing. You know, it just keeps you motivated to do those things. So my two objectives three maybe like you want to do the best job you can ever do when you walk on stage you have that in your mind like you've got to be careful with superlatives as a friend told me you know how can there be more by definition there can't be more than one best show right but you can't help but hope that tonight is the one you know so you're going out there trying to deliver that uh deep conviction best performance you've ever given in your life every single night every single time um but then you're also like hoping the people that have embraced your music will uh will have a unique experience in that moment. And then under all that, you're just hoping like, yeah, can I win over that one person that was dragged here or that uh, was given it another chance for some reason, you know? What makes a great show? Is it, like, if you can put a percentage on it, like how important is the audience to how you feel mentally after your last note? Is it their reaction they're giving you? Is it how your voice sounded to you? Is it that you played perfect guitar that night, the band was on point? Is it possible to be 100% the audience? Yes. I mean, when I'm with the band, that's a different story because I get, I'm really uh, wowed by the musicianship, the level of musicianship of the players in my band. It's just incredible. And I can, I can walk off with that kind of awe, like, wow, like, cause uh, it's, a, it's, I'm lucky to play. I, I know that in the moment, I'm lucky to play with these guys and, the, and women. And, um, but if it's just me by myself, I, I certainly, I'm just that the audience is the band. And so um, that's a hundred, I would almost say a hundred percent. Okay. But that's the thing. I never walk off going, I've never walked off going, man, I crushed it on guitar today. <laughs> I've never gone off stage without ever saying to myself, man, you're not, you're, you're, you're not as good as you should be. I've never walked off going like, man, my, my voice among all voices, <laughs> never, 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 never. Um, there are times though, when I've felt like I will give myself this, there are times where I, and hopefully it's many times where I've just felt like I've really gotten deep inside the song and myself, and it's translated to more than was there before. All the truth that I can tell, um, somehow, and I don't know, it's because you're talented, obviously, it feels nostalgic, but fresh and new when I listen to this. You are not trying to just like, I'm going to be this. It's like, I'm writing this for 2020. This is my interpretation. I'm writing this for 2022, but from the very first note, on this, Chris, it was taking me back to a place uh, of music that helped shape my taste, but it didn't feel, but it felt like, oh my God, I want to continue with every one of these songs. So when you went to write this album, first of all, did this happen mostly before the pandemic? Yeah. Yes, actually. Yes. As I, as I backdated here in my mind, yes, it was right before. Um, And so where did the inspiration for these lyrics and these songs come from? You know, 
it's a similar place, some similar place of inspiration from my first two records. So if there's any relationship there, um, I the Swiss Army wanna, romance, like in 2000 or so. Yeah, and the places you've come to fear the most in yes. 2001. Yeah, right. After. So, so which was you know those were only separated by like three months or four months or something like that. And it was just I'd gotten to this place as a writer in that time that was I would find was unique in my life until this moment. So I'd longed for getting back there. I tried to manufacture it. It, it, is, it was available to me in, in smaller bits along my, the course of my career, and they were really rewarding. But this, this place that I'd been where I could write a, a batch of songs that would become a record in that same mindset and keep it going for from song to song and, and, um, and not get, frankly, burned out because it's a, it's a taxing thing to, to be asking yourself, uh, hard questions and be willing to give yourself revealing answers in song. Um, so, you know, you mentioned nostalgia. How could it be? I think I'd been looking for that connection to a place I'd been just in terms of inspiration, as I said. When I found it, I thought I'd lean into what I'd found that first time, which was, oh, these songs uh, carry the weight just as unadorned this time as they did way back then. So I... I I was cognizant of like there's a relationship here to that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them just be as sparse as I can, um, because the the cutting nature of the question uh, is uh, more effective that way. And hopefully the answer was too. Yes. And so, which who did you work with in the studio? The producer. I worked with uh, James Paul Wisner, who yes. did my earliest records. Right. I mean, predating Dashboard, he did my. Band of Bacon Andes before that, and he did um, the Further Seems Forever record. The movie he did down. Further Seems Forever, really? He did all their records. Wow. Um, he did all three singers' records, um, but speci specifically, my uh, one of my favorite times working with James Ever was on The Moon Is Down. Marvelous producer went on to a, a successful career, kind of shaping what a certain. Uh, branch of emo would sound like for a certain generation for and, sure um, yes and so i came back to work with him and i also got to work with uh, uh some people uh like um in the studio that were assisting like uh shannon MacArthur and um and danny lacator but but james was a return as the head of the whole ship you know as the captain of the ship returning to that was it was like the only solution and also a pure victory you know, you're looking at like the, I'm looking at the demos I have, of which were, you know, not poured over. They were just voice memos. And I'm saying to myself, uh, there's only one right person to make this record. Only one person probably can. Because um, there's only one person I knew that could draw, draw more out of me while, and out of the song, while allowing the song to be a sparse that I've worked with so far. And that was James. So wow. it's kind of a Herculean effort to like yeah. imbue more while doing even less and less. You know? Did you meet with him more than one time, 20 times before starting this record? Because you're not the same person in all ways that you were in 99, 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5. You're in a different place. So is he. Yeah. The magic, no, it's not guaranteed that it's going to happen. No, um, I, I was never in doubt. But you're right, it wasn't guaranteed. And I think we'd circled each other, like to do records again together, and for other for reasons who knows why at this point, uh, our, our it never the stars didn't align. Um, as friends, we kept in, and and as as colleagues, we kept you know 
good taps on each other and in touch with each other. But uh, it's a whole different deal, man. It's like a it's uh, like having a love affair or something like that when you make a record together. You're just you're. It's like it's intensely emotional and collaborative, and um, and you're you're just so deeply in it. You're committed, right? So right. in that way, there's it's a, like it's truly a relationship. So we'd had one before. Could it be the same in the future? I didn't know, but I'd hoped it was better this time. It was even better. In 1998-99-2000 range, was there any doubt in your mind that you were going to be a professional musician? Like, was that it? There's no, you're not going to be a, a waiter at a nice restaurant. You're not going to go continue school. Like, what was your mindset then? In 1999, I was, oh, I was aware that I would never be a professional musician. I thought that I would be a uh, person who never stopped making music in a professional manner and even touring. And, you know, in the world I come from, that's like a total doable thing. Um, you've got famously in punk rock, you've got one guy that's a was a professor and lead singer of a huge band. Another guy who was a scientist and the lead singer of another huge band. I thought I could be less lofty. I could be a middle management at a grocery store or something and keep doing music. Or I could be a teacher, which was the path I was on. Uh, and keep doing music. Further started to change my, being in Further started to change my viewpoint of that. I thought I could do them in equal measure once I was in Further. Dashboard, I thought the same thing until about until about a year passed of doing Dashboard. And then I thought, oh, okay, I see how you could, you could eke out a living doing this. Eke and, out a living, yeah. okay. <laughs> but then something happened with my, you know, this rapid succession of my first two records. So I really am talking about the time period of like, the places you've come to fear the most, really. Yeah. But it's only extended by six months or something like that. I can't remember. I would say it was during 2001 that I went, oh, okay, right. Yeah, okay. This is like, this is the lane. And this will be it forever. If I, if I really do everything I can to be protective of how rare that is. And um, it's pay I think it's paid off. This is my only Absolutely. job. Absolutely, right, and, um, right. That was the dream, like, and it's still the dream. Like, there's a lot of great, there's bigger dreams I've had along the way, and I've attained some of those too, and not others, but the original dream holds true. Like, can, can you just be a musician? Um, that was pre-MySpace, pre-Twitter. You couldn't, for the most part, you couldn't just put a song out there, and potentially in two weeks, it goes viral. Sort of. Because there was Napster. Napster. And soon there would be LimeWire. Um, and that was, or maybe they were concurrent, but that was the way it happened for me. Napster and LimeWire and file sharing was the equivalent of what going viral was now on a smaller scale then. And um, for a kid that had no, what, no distribution even. You, know, you were in Florida, right? I was in Florida. I was in Florida, and I was on a label in Florida called Fiddler Records, yep. which was a great label. And... Um, Amy Fleischer, who ran the company, Amy Fleischer Madden now, uh, was a genius in her in her way, but still a young company with only so much distribution. But she leaned into the Napster thing at cost of her own, you know, maybe successful financial endeavor and just said, this is the way we can connect with people and move your band forward. Wow, that is so smart. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I didn't know about it that well because I couldn't afford a laptop even you know, or a computer. So, you know, I, like I remember going to the library to check out what Napster was when she told me about it. Um, and it, it was uh, it was transformative for me. And, uh, you know, it would become 
um, a detriment to the way business would would work as it was as it existed. Right. It would become yes. almost. Um, I mean, it was fractious. It's probably. It was probably the worst thing that ever happened to the music business, but it was best the best thing that ever happened to my career personally. The music business did not know what was coming. They were not ready for it. They needed to pivot and did a some executives did a horrible job thinking, oh, this is gonna be nothing. But then as you just said, as an artist, it really, really helped you. That is so it that's really helped incredible me. to hear. And um and that's because it was person to person. And um, that's that's what our scene was built on, right? The pop punk scene, the punk rock scene, yes. the emo scene, the yes. indie rock scene was about sharing music with your friends. And this it just it just broadened the scale with which you could do that. Um, Brett Gerwitz from Bad Religion, where the singer is incredibly smart in Bad Religion, by the yeah. way, was talking about a huge reason for a lot of the Bad Religion success and some of the artists on his label is because he gave the music away for free to the surf videos and the Tony Hawk stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I just knew. I didn't care about the money. I knew in the long run that was going to help. It's not the exact same thing you were mentioning, but it's almost the same. It's, um, And I can tell you as a on the user end, right, to use a common term from now, um, specifically that's how I found so much music that would be transformative in my life was, his, was by his design. Uh, the surf videos that I, I would watch and the skate videos I would watch when I was like just a kid that was uh, on a skate team at a store and on rainy days would watch the videos and just kind of like write down all the songs when the credits would come down. What was that song? What was that song? And then go to the record store and order them or wow. find the indie record store finally and, and they'd have them in stock. And it translated to sales and uh, uh, probably at that time, now it probably doesn't as, or, you know, then in my period, it probably didn't as much, but it didn't, tr it still translated to the same kind of dedication, the hunt. I'm going to find this band. I'm going to buy their t-shirt. I'm going to buy a ticket. That was the most important thing. I want to be there and um, experience these songs with this band, which has uh, been the thing that I wanted more than anything uh, as a kid. And then as an artist later was to just be at the show with people and play and wow. see how this music felt as a shared experience. Who are some of the artists that you remember specifically hearing in the skate videos and surf videos? I mean, specifically Fugazi and Minor Threat were mm. like an early one. Operation Ivy was this eureka moment for me in, wow. this, in skate videos, which I think was like the H Street videos with Matt Hensley. And then I probably, you know, you mentioned Brett and I probably went through their whole catalog. I got ordered their catalog. Wow. Uh, you know, you could, from the mail-in, you know, that you got for free. Yes. I did the same with Fat Records. Um, later with Revelation Records. There were a lot of rev bands on those skate videos, too, that would, uh, and Equal Vision. All these, uh, you, you began to have this trust of label identity. So first you had uh, the music curated to you through these, through the thing you were into in the first place. For me, it was skateboarding and ancillarily surfing, you know, from the community that I lived in, you know, Florida, beach town in Florida. Right. Um and it translated into like this kind of reliance on like you know you, you're being curated to by this this label and you start to have you when that was done well like you just trusted whatever that uh, what they Brett were was going to put makers. out I was going to buy it yes. didn't have to hear it first right right um, and I can't tell you how many bands I've loved for a lifetime that I bought just on the strength of which label they were on amazing and um, I don't know whether that happens. Now I know that it was true of like Vagrant Records when I was there. 
um, I thought that was true for the period we were on it. Like I felt like you, you could kind of rely on that um, curated taste, uh, equal vision. I mean, not to go into the whole, but I'm going down memory lane now thinking of the, the labels that I trusted uh, so much. And um, and the bands I fell in love with for, for a lifetime were, were, were sight unseen in some, or unheard in right. some, in most cases. What led you to delivering your music the way you do sonically and singing when you were listening to some bands that maybe could fall under the same umbrella, but don't sing in that way. Like you're not screaming at me in your songs. It's a much different delivery. I think it, I think credit where credit is due to the, to the scene I'm from, uh, South Florida, Mm. hardcore and punk and pop punk scene, whatever passed for indie rock in the time. And even like ska and even like, I guess, well, there were, I can't think of any singer-songwriters that were in that area besides me at the time. There would be some popping up around my... There was culturally a moment happening there. But there wasn't enough... There was enough positive posit, positive mental attitude in the way that, like, um, I celebrate, like, that even in music with my fandom of H2O, for example. Yeah. But there was that kind of, like, we can do it, and we can do it our way, and uh, we can do it together, Um and there was this inclusivity that was spurred by that attitude, but coupled with the fact that it was so small of a scene. You really couldn't have an all-punk show or an all-hardcore mm. show or an all-ska show. If you did, I mean, you could do it, but it would be smaller. But for everybody to feel included and for everybody to be at their best and, and have the best show, you were going to just kind of marry them all. And so it wasn't a terrible leap after being in, like, I was in these bands that sounded like quicksand at the time, uh, post-hardcore stuff. Uh, for us to be playing with Newfound Glory or Shailud, these, you know, sorry, pop punk bands and hardcore bands or uh, the Jive Step Bunch, which is this big ska band from where we were. For all, us, for, of all of us to be playing together was not out of the ordinary. There was no off-limits feeling that you might have, that I didn't know you would find in other scenes. Like, that's, that doesn't belong here. So when I came along to this place as a, the evolution of just my interest in songs came to this place of like, I uh, here I am in Further Seems Forever, which is this Matthew rock emo band. Yes, yeah. Post hardcore math rock emo band, hard to define where we fit in. And then I'm like, well, I've got all this complication here. That's part of the the tenet of our music making is like weird time signatures and so on. Uh, I wanted something austere on the other side of things, just to balance it out. And I found myself leaning towards leaning into that, and didn't feel unwelcomed to play those songs and you know what i want to tell you one more thing like i think it maybe it would have had a place that probably screamed a little bit too much in my acoustic setting to be invited to play at a coffee shop but i like just didn't know that bands like that when you're a singer songwriter you're supposed to go play a coffee shop <laughs> and then you maybe go and play a club and then maybe you climb up that way and which is the way i imagine i don't know whether this is true but i would think maybe somebody like john may or may have come up uh, uh, even so, you know, it's like thinking to play, okay, well, you go there because it's a good setting for the kind of music I made back when he was just like playing, remarkably playing these acoustic guitar songs. Um, it didn't occur to me to do that. I didn't know that that was a thing. And I've still, I've still never played at a coffee shop. And I don't know, I'm sure you recognize this. There are some uh, humans out there who want to go to shows where the singers are screaming and yelling, there's moshing, whatever. And those same humans would hear three lyrics from Chris Carabba and be like, you know what? I'm getting that same emotional feeling from this dude right here. Could you feel that? Be like, I can't believe this person is at my show and they're, they're digging it. I could feel it. 
And I felt like, but I was like that guy, that person or that girl, that, uh, that young person, I was one of them. And if I was out there in the audience, I would have been feeling the thing that they were feeling from the hardcore band. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. maybe there was that shared experience that we had. And then, you know, we had, we, I had the good fortune of like early, early on in my career, like uh, career as it was, in the early days of getting shows, it was like with punk bands that were my friends starting to be around the country. But then early on, it was like face-to-face -face and H2O and Snapcase that took me on my first, Newfound Glory took me on my first tour. Face-to-face uh, -face took me on my, took me on the first like kind of grander tour, like where they were like a really big band. And it was H2O, Snapcase, Snapcase H2O and face-to-face. Were you open, were, were you first up in that? I was first up, and it was like, that's oh, a pretty wow. heavy bill. Hell yes. There's a lot of melody happening in all those bands. And certainly on the face-to-face -face end of things, it's like much more uh, pop punk in the vein of social distortion in that lineage. But, you know, Snapcase is heavy and hardcore, and H2O is like youth crew and hardcore. And all those bands had decided I was okay. So I like went up there with this fear that I was going to like be... Oh, a disappointment man. to the audience, oh, but God. understanding that like I did get picked to do this because they all see a certain commonality here in what I'm doing. And, and an appreciation. They're not going to take someone who they do not appreciate the talent and the skill and what this artist is doing. Yeah. And each, uh, face to face is the ones who made the decision. I imagine there was, uh, who knows if they discussed who this new kid was yeah. with all the bands. But I know that by the first show, I walked in there with all those bands like, I'll never forget the pep talk that like Toby from H2O gave me in the first day of like Toby Morse, right? Yeah. Toby Morse from H2O. Just you belong here and this is going to be this is special and like and like you've got to uh believe in your convictions and you know be here. Be here all the way here. And um you know I did because of that. I was scared. I was I wasn't great some nights because of the it was a not Herculean. It was a Herculean task actually. It felt, yes, but, for sure. but, but anyway, all this to say, I, I was, this was the lane I knew. I didn't know other music scenes and, um, everywhere along the way, I, I felt some resistance, but I had somebody in the, my corner going like, no, no, this is right. Stick, stay the course. It's hard, but keep going. And, uh, thank God for that. That's amazing. Those bands you mentioned welcomed you like that because there are some bands who they bring someone out on the road with them. And it's like, no, you can't have a dressing room. Yeah. There's three band members and the, the headliner. We're taking all three dressing rooms. Change in your dirty van that you have out there. Okay. So all the bands, I've heard so many great stories of guests on this show who say that the band that took them out was so important that they, to their entire career because of the confidence that they got from this particular band. And it sounds like a very similar thing right there with you. And those guys. It was true of those guys. It was true of the network of bands I came up with. When I think about those earliest shows with Thursday, those earliest days getting to know My Chemical Romance, those early days with Newfound Glory. And how many of us, specifically Floridian ones too, uh, but also like just from around our network, uh, succeeded is, is unlikely. It's, it's weird to look back, but I think that we all had one other thing in common besides our taste in music and how we were presenting it, which was uh, the inclusivity and the, mm. the understanding of what you, what you kind of posited there, which was uh, treat people well. 
which I don't know that I did at every, no one bats a thousand, right? So I, 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 I surely hope though that I, that I, I think I have, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I surely hope that I was as good to people uh, in the way that they, that people were good to me with the understanding of how far that really does go. And honestly, I've been treated badly too. And that goes really far also. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's all, all this stuff is about community. Like your music you put out is for the community you're making with your fans. Um, the business you run as a touring act is about the community you, you build with your, with your peers. And um, it's not really about like, how can I be the most amazing, whatever it is. It's really about how can we do this in a special way. You have never fallen off the radar even remotely once. There are artists who started at a similar time than you, not the ones who have been doing it for a while. And they had good songs and they had people that cared about them. And I always try to think, and I don't have a thesis on this or anything, like what happened over a certain amount of years where people lost interest in some artists, but with others, it's the opposite. And in 2022, it's even stronger than it was in 03, 04, 05, 06 in that range. What is that? What's the metric? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think about that a lot because I feel really lucky. Uh, because certainly the uh, like the cultural moment, cultural moment that that emo had, it moved on. And um, but the, something's it, happening right now. Obviously, everybody again. knows that, right? I mean, you mentioned Thursday; they're going to be at the when we were young yeah. festival in my cam in Paramore, and uh, you guys, and then, of course. And then look like farther further down the bill, and what I see is like they deserved to stay, you know, in the conversation. Um, and they, they have, to some extent, a lot of these bands, but where the zeitgeist kind of moved on from my scene, and me too, to some extent, but I don't think I felt it in the same way where, because I like, my shows didn't get materially smaller. My audience didn't get materially smaller. Um, so when I see that bill, I'm like, oh, okay, great. I didn't have that, that like, oh, we're back for me. Right. But I felt like, oh, we're back, me, the kid that was, of a part of the scene passing out flyers back in the day and um and um championing championing my my favorite bands i'm seeing some of those bands get the attention that i would love to see last uh because i th i've thought they've deserved it the whole time wow it's good to see it yeah 100 percent. i can't wait to be in vegas for one of those three shows man yeah. i don't know how it's going to go down who's going to be where how, do you know how many stages there are I know nothing. You don't know anything. Okay. And I like, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't, uh, I don't think I want to know anything more than like, uh, I don't want to know anything logistical yet. I don't think I want to know till I show up. Um, but I will, I do know when I show up, I'm going to be pouring over the sheet, the, the day sheet so I can figure out how to see this band and that band yeah. and figuring out how do I do it out there in the audience? Because that's where I like to see, it's fun to see bands side stages that, we're yeah. in this together feeling, but yeah. man, I want to be out there in the crowd. I can't wait for that. Do you like Vegas? Have you ever gone to Vegas without doing a show because you like blackjack or you play roulette or you want to get a massage or something? I never have. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, some of us are designed for Vegas and some of right. us are um, me, I guess. And I'm, I'm not I'm not really well designed for, for Vegas, um, uh, but I will be there for a for quite a number of days this time, so I think I'll I'll fall more deeply okay. into in love with the with the Vegas experience this time. But I'm also it's just like anywhere else. Like most of the time, I'm just in 
for the show day and then whisked out for the next place. Yeah. So uh, it'll be nice to be able to get to really know Vegas for the first time, like for a length of time. Uh, more than 20 years in the business, how difficult was it for you personally, if at all, maybe 0%, navigating the music business? It's so much more than just, I'm writing a song, I'm putting it out, I, uh, people are going to like it, I hope. Maybe it's going to be on a radio station. Maybe it's going to get some videos. Like, is it tough? Was it tough? Yeah, it sucks. It does? Yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> it sucks so hard. I mean, it's like necessary and uh, and uh, warranted, I guess. Um, but it's it's just, it's the least fun of, of, of any of it. And I've been um, lucky. I've like liked everyone that we've worked with. I hear horror stories. I don't have too many. Uh, I have... Things I've liked better than other things, but uh, but generally speaking, the uh, it's not f my favorite. It's the music business is not my favorite thing. Right. I have met made some of my favorite friends though through the music music business, um, and f for that I I feel pretty pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, was there a moment? I don't know when it was hands down or screaming infidelities early on, or when you had the move the song in the Spider-Man movie where you ever felt like too much was happening or I've been waiting for this for years for this to go down like this. I've never felt like that. I've That's never felt the latter. I've never felt like that. Oh, I've been waiting for this. Oh. The whole time has been like the, wait, what? <laughs> the, what? There's, we can do that now or, uh, or, or this they, this group of people care about what we're doing or what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I've never had that. Uh, I don't have that kind of personality strike. I don't have that, that bigger than life thing that I admire and so many artists that I love. So I'm shocked all, at every stage. But I, I have had, uh, I have had those, that the awareness of like, oh, this has changed and it's changed for good. I think I had that like, like with, in the early days, you mentioned like hands down or screaming fidelities. It was more like this, wide-eyed wait uh what do you do what do you how do you do this mm. um i was wide-eyed to the new experience by the time we got unplugged it was like this um mtv unplugged it was yeah. like this yes. um it was like okay okay we're officially we've officially navigate we we've been navigated to the next tier somehow when we got invited to be the single for the spider-man soundtrack spider-man 2 soundtrack that was when i went like all right, this changes. This changes sort of the wait. Uh, vindicated, right? Vindicated yeah. changed the um, trajectory of my life in mm. a way that was apparent to me in the now. I was like, oh wow, okay. This this sort of like solidifies you as a career. Like this is this will be a career. That thing we talked about in the beginning, where it was like, can I do this job? Can this as a job? Can this be something that lasts like as a career? First, it was like, can it ever be done? As a part-time job. Yeah. And then can it be done as a full-time job? And then, like, this was a whole new thing. Can it be done as a career? And I didn't know. I always had this thing where, like, bands only last five years. That's what I thought. It looked like I got another five years. It turned out to be another, you know, I don't know, a total of more than 20 now. And it's, again, I've said this probably twice already. It's bigger and better than ever. And this record, which I hope everyone just starts on note number one and listens through it, it is... So all your songs are honest, but you can you can feel it so much in this album. It's so good. Your voice is just, as always, wonderful. Is it cool if I ask you about your motorcycle accident? Sure. I don't know if you've talked about that a lot. Yeah, I'm happy to chat. Okay, chat about so it. that was in what June of 2020. 
It was in June, yeah, June of 2020. June of 2020. What the heck happened? Um, it was an accident, like in its truest sense. You know, it's a, I was on a roadway. I'm off and on. Uh, there was a piece of debris from a previous car accident there uh, that, we, that hadn't been cleared. And as I, I don't have a great memory of, but this is how it was ex- explained to me, you know, a piece of that debris got up in the fork of my motorcycle. I went over the bars and slammed oh. into the concrete, into the pavement. And it, yeah, I was, I was pretty badly injured. Um, and I had this, and this was in the, uh, you know, the early stages. We were in lockdown still, I believe, at least in my county, you know, uh, we were still in, in, uh, in lockdown. So, um, or maybe just out of it, but certainly hospitals were. So it was just a weird idea to even be in a hospital. It was an isolating experience. But anyway, the, the accident was, was, the injuries were severe. The accident was unexpected. It's been a long, it's been a long t- recovery process. Um, because of physical therapy s- and the mental part of it as physical well. Physical therapy, the dealing with the trauma of it all, the, the, um, the rigorous uh, effort it's taken to learn how to play guitar again. Um, oh my God, the, and, and to, I mean, then that was like, that was like the icing on the cake. Cause first you have to learn how to, you know, brush your teeth and then you have to learn how to like lift your arms up and then you have to learn how to dress yourself and all these things. Um, so I just want to start this conversation. Yes. With the, with the, I, it's important to say, I just feel so good and lucky and happy. And like, I don't look back at the accident with, uh, grief or sadness i surely wish it hadn't happened but it is as these things will do it has given me a deep deep appreciation for life and the and the opportunity to keep living it did you break your sh- arms your so shoulders? i broke uh both and this is bilateral i broke uh humerus collarbones uh i shattered the bones that keep your there's a small bone for should know that these names for all the doctors visits i've had that keeps your shoulder in place when it's dislocated i shattered that one so everything had to be rebuilt. Plus, uh, some of the muscles were lacerated in the accident, but also then they have to lacerate the muscles to uh, fix the injury. Um, so what am I? I've got several. I've got plates and screws and uh, pins. I mean, the screw number is, I don't know. Actually, I can't remember. I'll show you the, the uh, x-ray one day. It's pretty wild. Um, Did the doctors ever say to you that we don't know if you're going to be able to play guitar again? Did that ever was that did that conversation happen? Yeah, oh, yeah. There was a the higher functionality was a was not a given, um, and uh, wasn't until I you know this was all at Vanderbilt uh, in in Nashville, which is an incredible hospital. If you have to be injured, it's an incredible hospital. The staff there uh, from end to end were just incredible, all the way through my recovery with with um, uh, it. Uh, which continues still, I guess. Um, but specifically, so I did a um, one of these testimonials they might do for for a hospital. Uh, they filmed me um, having a conversation about the doctors, Doctor Lee specifically, my surgeon, and uh, and they interviewed him. And I saw it, and that's the first time you know. And he expressed the amount of doubt he had that he they could get me back uh, together in the first place. And that was that was a that was a tough one. I don't know that I knew that severity that they they didn't know that they could save my shoulders at all, uh, but they did. They didn't make it rosy. I can tell you that they wow. they didn't put a real shine on it when they were telling me about what I was facing. 
so happy for you. Thanks to the doctors and that you you're doing. You're gonna go do all these shows, man. Yeah. yeah okay. Hey, I, I I tell you what. I had a my first show of the year the other day was in uh, two nights ago. It was in New York. And uh, at the end of the show, I lift. I often do this. I lift my guitar up over my head. Look at I'm doing it now. Like my arm went up, but it just like. I did a couple shows last year, and I remember thinking, like, is it going to get up? Am I going to am I going to raise this guitar all the way? Is it going to fall over when I do? Can I, will I be able to move my arm tomorrow if I do this? And I didn't think about it at all in this moment the other day, and I put held it up, and there's a picture um, oh, of me from behind man. holding it up, and that's when I thought about, oh, could you? It's that's the only time I thought about like the success rate of that. Will I? Because I can just I can now. I just can. And that was a beautiful moment to have had on stage. And you have a whole, your perspective has changed as a result of this, you said. The way you appreciate life, is it you appreciate career or just life and living and that sort of colors of the sky or a bunny rabbit walking by? Or what? I mean, I think it's all things. I mean, uh, certainly life. I mean, to, to, to know that, like, uh, I can embrace my children and my wife and to know that I uh, can um, do housework or yard work to know that I can do my work to know that I can um, well just kind of be like a fully realized human being in the face of what could have happened certainly just makes you appreciate all things with right. a little with a lot not a little more with it with with a hell of a lot more gratitude and I actually think I wrote went through life with a pretty uh, deep awareness of how important gratitude was um, I'm surprised I could have had that deepened I'm glad that I to found to find that I could. Thank you for sharing all that. Something happier. Who taught you to play guitar? You, the internet, a teacher? Me. Um, it's the worst idea to teach yourself. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, in hindsight, and I only say that now because uh, when I had the, you know, one of the um, the biggest challenge was learning how to play guitar again, and I had to go down the road of of uh, taking lessons and and continue to. Um, wow. and, and, uh, man, what a, what a trip that was to, to understand, uh, suddenly, well, to have an opportunity to undo all your bad habits was great with all, with the knowledge you've built for yourself. Here's the plus of having taught myself guitar. I came up with my own voicings for things that probably are unconventional. I came up with my own, uh, uh, the best I could do kind of sound and made that really a good, a strong thing. Um, I wonder if I'd ever found the um, sound I have had I taken, I think it's unlikely if I'd taken lessons, if that was, which wasn't available to me, it wasn't this vaulted idea of like, that's not punk rock, although that wasn't at the time, like, and you you weren't supposed to, but I couldn't have afforded it anyway. So um, it is what it is in that regard. And I, I think where it led me down the road of was a songwriting um, because I couldn't learn, had no way to know to learn how to other, learn other people's songs. Um, um, but I could figure out this chord and then that chord and see if I could weave a melody in between them. Um, now, as a, as a more learned guitar player that I gained over the course of a lifetime of playing with people also, which is lessons, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then this year plus now, year and a half, I guess, of, of guitar lessons, or maybe it's a year once I was able to start, um, I feel like, wow, I wasted a lot of time not, <laughs> not having lessons. You know what I did do? I did... Um, um, Go a few years before this. I shouldn't say I never had lessons. I, I think I, 
at about 30 or something like that, I kind of wished I had taken lessons just for the experience, not for like what they could teach me. So I went to like a local music store and I like signed up for lessons. And I like was waiting there with like the other 11-year-olds, you know? No. And, uh, you know, I took about, uh, I took about, probably a total of like 10 and it was really fun. And, but uh, after about the fifth lesson, they were like, can we put your poster back up here? Cause they'd seen me come in sheepishly to ask, you know, about the, about lessons. And I didn't what give my real name. It was in my hometown of Florida. Okay. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't cop to who I was. I didn't want to lead with that. I was just like, hey, I have some bad habits. I want to take some lessons. And, and uh, the guys knew who I was immediately, <laughs> but I think they thought like, let's make this dummy feel comfortable. And they took that. And I want to tell you, it was a poster. It was like a huge poster. It was like one of those promo right? things. And, yeah. and, uh, and he like literally was <laughs> like, can we just put this back up? And I had a great laugh over that one. But that was a fun experience. Too. Did you play other bands' songs in the lessons? No. No. No, no. Uh, no, I should have asked to like learn hands down. And they've been like, this guy's the greatest student we've ever had. <laughs> um, no, I don't I remember at that time doing that. I, I, uh, I learned some probably... Who knows what I learned? I was doing technical stuff at the okay. time. I wasn't learning other people's songs, which I've had a fun. Exp- I've always loved that as a coursework for learning guitars, like learning other people's songs. That later, once and after those early days, I would go. I've made covers, records, and stuff like that. You really learn a lot about. It. So I encourage anybody learning guitar to spend some time teaching themselves, to spend some time studying with a teacher, and then to spend a, a good amount of time learning other people's songs in the way you hear them, which is different than the right way. What is your and you can pass on this question. What is your favorite song as we sit here today on the new album? Wow. It may change in a month when you're playing these songs and you're on the road with Jimmy World. Like, you never know. Yeah, I think I know which song f- is going to be my favorite once we get out there and we're playing with Jimmy World because there's adren- an adrenalized song on there that I particularly like for the setting. But as I sit here, a man far from home missing his family. You know, I wrote a song called Me and Mine, which is the first really open i've been protective about uh my family's rights to to right to have a private life if they haven't chosen to have a a public life right and my my wife hasn't certainly my my kids have no say in the matter in in their ability to choose now i mean they're they're not toddlers or anything like that but they you don't have that choice when you're young if your if your parents are popular in a in the medium so I was careful of that. I thought, like, this should be everybody's to choose for themselves. And I've been really lucky that my fam- my fan base has just kind of like it's this tacit agreement. They don't really ask too much in detail. They, everybody knows. It's not like this thing you should try to keep secret. But they seem to understand, oh, okay, he's, these people seem to value this. Uh, let's allow them to, which is a real gift. But that's kept me from writing very much sp- specifically about how it feels to be a father or a husband until a song on this record called me and mine wow and that was i i couldn't resist i couldn't resist it any longer even though as a in the position i'm in in this family i am the one who's supposed to be protecting their right to have that i couldn't couldn't i couldn't fully do it anymore the draw was uh, the passion i feel for that role i play or that responsibility i get to have in that Beautiful reward. It's on display here, finally. Do they really know what you do for a living at oh, yeah. this point? They do. Oh, yeah. Do they have a favorite song? Do they think you're good? Do they say you stink? <laughs> I think they say all of those things. Um, I think that they, uh, I mean, they are, they're too, they're, they're too talented for their 
lineage. I can't understand how they're so musically gifted. Um, and uh, their taste is pretty high-minded in music. Really? And um, Wow. I hope... Uh, you hope they become I, scientists, not musicians? Or you want them to be musicians? I do, actually. <laughs> I think, wouldn't it be amazing if they were like a, a CFO who played guitar at uh, night or something like that, or right. drums at night, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but I don't think that will be their lot in life. I think they'll be... By what I see, I think they'll have to chase it. Um, but... I hope they like my. You know what? I, I know they like my music now, and they're not. They're they're old enough to have their own taste, and so they like some of the songs, and they don't like other songs, and they're they're uh, supportive. I wonder all the time: Would they like this music if they if I wasn't their dad? You know? <laughs> I can only hope. Okay, question. Appreciate the artwork again. As we are sitting here today, the album comes out in like six hours from now. What what is the what are these Polaroids? What's this guitar? It's is there a story th behind this? Yeah, there's been a theme of Polaroids through my career. So, I was working with the art director uh, Nick Steinhardt, who is a generational talent, in my opinion. Uh, as a musician too, he's in Touche Amore, and uh, just incredible guitar player as well and writer. That is my main guitar. A photograph of my main guitar overlaid with this. Uh, some some pictures he took of a, a flowering tree and um it's it's really spoke to the his understanding of like what the band has been from its inception and so it was it, of course it's collaboration when you do artwork with somebody but i i have to give him credit that this thing landed almost fully formed um as a in a way that made it's hard to like appreciate it's i'm not a visual artist and it, i i've already wrote i've already written an interpretation of what this thing feels like that's the songs you hear and he's got this visual interpretation of what it feels like that i think is uh as accurate as i could have hoped for really it's kind of like i get slack jawed when i looked at look at it yeah all right man how about we wrap it right there? I mean, right. I think we're almost an hour in i mean i there's so many more things to get to but this is an exciting day for you kimmel is tomorrow the album's coming out in a few hours. We'll see you in Vegas for when we were young. And you're going to be, is it a co-headlining show with Jimmy Eat World? Yep. You're, how does that work, co-headlining? You trade off? Not on this one. I think we're going to play, they're going to close on this one. Sometimes you trade. Oh, okay. Sometimes you close. I don't, I don't ever really, I don't know how those decisions are made or why. <laughs> Flip a um, coin before yeah. you get to the city. Yeah, I never much cared about that as long as I get to. As long as we all get to play. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that what I'm is there a for. tour. That is going to be one freaking sing along hey man, from first note to last note. If one man could have picked his dream band to play with, it would have been me picking that band. Are you so serious? I'm so excited. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, Chris, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Jeff. That was, I mean, I'm very grateful that you came over here and uh, it's a day I'm never going to forget. So thank you. Good day. All right. Thank you guys for watching another episode of Tuna on Toast. For Chris, I am Stryker. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. You're so good at this. That's another episode of Stryker's Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure.